You can hear me now, good. Uh, I'm glad to be back. I know that it's, uh, it's odd for me to be out of the pulpit and, and try not to miss very many Sundays. And, uh, and so I do really appreciate Warren filling in. Warren has this, he has this really good voice. If you, those of you who are here or maybe that you listened online, he's just got a real deep, like real calming, real soothing voice. Man, he's just one of those guys. I remember when I was a kid and uh, I, was a, I was a teenager, I was trying to find any job that I could find. I worked for a, uh, a, a car wash uh, for a little while. Where my job was to get in the car and drive it to the guys and I'd get out and these guys would come in and vacuum it and then I'd drive it on the line and it would go through the automatic car wash and I'd go get another car. I, all I did was drive cars all day because I knew how to drive a standard. That's the only reason why I got that gig. Well, that didn't last very long. And then my next job was I worked for the Shriners. You guys remember who the Shriners were? They had the circus that would come to Little Rock. And uh, my job was I was a telemarketer back in the day when we had landlines and you called people's home phone numbers. Uh, and they had a list of past donors and I had to call these past donors and say, listen, would you uh, care to donate to the Shriners organization again? Every ticket that you buy sends a kid to the, to the circus for free, you know, from, you know, some underprivileged home or something like that. And, uh, and I wasn't very good at that job. <laughs> I would call and talk to him. And I remember my boss came and he said, listen, now, Matt, listen, you're not, you're not making a lot of sales. And I was like, no, I'm, I don't care. And, uh, and he said, well, I think it's because, you know, you're 17 and, and, and I think if you just had a, a more mature voice, we can put you on some pills that will, that will lower your voice. I said, not for this job, dude, I'm out. And I quit, I walked out. And so I've just never had that real deep, rich tone to my voice, but Warren has that, right? I was listening to him online. I thought, man, that is so soothing. My, our church is gonna get so annoyed with my voice when I get back. So uh, welcome back. I'm back and uh, you get to listen to me uh, for the rest of the time today. Uh, and, and I'm so glad to get to be back here. I, I'm, I'm gonna start today what I intended to be one message, a standalone. Let me just go and preach this one thing and go. And a matter of fact, when I talked to uh, Dr. Wharton over the last few weeks and he said, uh, he said, you know, I was gonna have to set out this last week. He said, you know, you should be ready to preach. And little did he know that my one thought that I was going to preach on this week is going to turn into uh, could, would, could possibly two, maybe even three weeks of a sermon. Uh, because as I studied and as I kind of wrote and as I kind of prayed through what I wanted to say, it just got longer and longer and longer and longer. And so to keep you guys from being here until 1.30 this afternoon, uh, I'm going to preach one point of a three-point sermon this morning, and I've entitled it The Past, the Present, and the Promise. And so uh, we're going to talk about this idea, and, and instead of being able to go all the way through it, we're going we're gonna to hit the first part of it today. Uh, maybe next week we'll be able to squeeze part two and three in, maybe not. It may be a three-week thing, and we'll just kind of go where it goes, okay? Now, here's what I love. I, I love watching movies. We watched a lot of movies over the last couple of weeks, and we, uh, one of my favorites is the Back to the Future movies. Y'all remember that from the, from the 80s? I just, I, those were always my favorite. Michael J. Fox in his prime, right? Christopher Lloyd uh, being Christopher Lloyd, right? That's the, that's the Doc Brown guy, and, and I, I love his character because no matter what he's in, whether it's Taxi, y'all remember Taxi from way back in the day? Taxi or the Back to the Future movies, or he was even the bad guy in the, in the Dennis the Menace remake in the like 90, early 90s, if y'all remember that movie. Dennis Lloyd always has the same look on his face, right? He's just confused, 
but captivated. Now, I just love his characters and all those. And even in the Back to the Future movies, I just liked his, you know, he was just kind of wild, right? And so there's this incredible premise through the entire series of those movies where if we could go back to the past, we could change things and somehow make our present better or maybe even our future even better, right? And that's the concept that we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks is this idea of that we can, maybe something that could change in the past would change our current situation or maybe even our future situation. A lot of us have said things like, well, if I could go back, I would do blank differently, right? Well, I, if I go back, I could, I would do that. Normally that's to erase a mistake, right? We go back and go, gosh, if I could do that again, I would never have done that. Or, or maybe it's to kind of maybe influence if we did this, maybe right now would be even better. Or maybe even 10 years from now would be even better. I read an article this last week about Robert Wayne. Nobody knows who Robert Wayne is probably. It's not Bruce Wayne. It's a different Wayne. Okay. Robert Wayne uh, was back in 1970. What is it? 1970. 76, he uh, was a partner with a guy named Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. And he came into their budding company called Apple and provided what was called, quote, uh, adult supervision. Okay. He came in and invested into Apple at the very beginning, back when it was in a garage. And 12 days later, sold his 10% stake of Apple for $800. $800 he got out. He said he just didn't feel like he was gonna be able to, to help them as much as they needed to be helped. 800 bucks back in his pocket. Now, so many years later, his 10% share of a $1.3 trillion company is worth a little over $100 billion. Where's the DeLorean, right? I would go back, I would give him $800. I'd be like, listen, man, I'll buy you out right now. Right, $100 billion he sold for 800 bucks. If he could go back, probably would change some things, right? We say things like this, like I would go back and I would have, I would have, I would have moved when I had the chance or I would have changed this or I would have never dated that person, right? Some of y'all have been like, amen to that. I would have never, some of you, unfortunately, might have even said, I would have never married that person. We're not gonna get into that. It's just this incredible concept that if we went back, we would, we would invest in things or we would, we would save more or we would do different things to set ourselves up now in a completely different situation, right? There's something about something that we can change in the past. And listen, we could, you can go back to, to all different kinds of things in history. And I love history. I go through all this kind of stuff all the time. But even if you go back to the American Revolution or, um, goodness, World War II, or uh, even as recently as, y'all remember the, the Cold War and the Bay of Pigs and all that kind of stuff. If one or two things happened differently, the whole story would have changed, Right. But what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks is that there is something that has very much been established in the past that, that influences our present, but that it, we will not fully experience until our future. That something is the hope of every believer. It is salvation. Okay. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about salvation, in particular, the past, the present, 
and the promise that is salvation. So if you've got your Bible, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. This chapter uh, I read over the past few weeks and really probably three weeks now, just have been going through it over and over again. And, and Peter does something that I think is so incredible and so inspired. In just a few verses, he, he talks about all three of those modes of salvation, of all three of those things that kind of influence this, the past, the present, and the promise. And and what we're going to see is we're going to, as we talk through this, we're going to talk through and define some of these big church words, some of these words that maybe you've grown up hearing and maybe you don't really understand the full meaning of. And those three big church words, I'll just give them to you right off the jump, is justification, sanctification, and glorification. Okay. And so these are the three elements that, that kind of play into salvation and what it is, justification, sanctification, and glorification. And we'll talk about all those through this entire process. Now, what I love about Peter is especially in first Peter, you can really read it in the books of Acts, uh, the, the change that's happened in Peter's life. If we go back to the gospels, we go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Everything that Peter does is impulsive, right? He's the guy who cuts off the soldier's ear. He's the guy who jumps off the boat when he sees Jesus on the shore. He's, he's the one when Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? He, he just impulsively says, you're the son of God. You know, like he, he just, and Jesus, even in that moment goes, wow, Peter, obviously God told you to say that because you would never come up with that on your own. He's just this kind of act first, think second kind of guy. He's, he's just very impulsive. But when you read Acts, something changed. Remember when Jesus looks at Peter and tells him to feed his sheep and he tells him, you ask him, do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. There's this change in Peter through that. And, and when we read book, the book of Acts and we read his letters, first and second Peter, we see this, this deepening of maturity, and leadership, and, uh, and he's got some responsibility. Matter of fact, in Acts, he's in charge of himself, and he is in charge of a lot of people. So there's this incredible transition in Peter's life. And so what we're reading in First Peter here is this kind of uh, settled-in version of Peter. Now, what we know is that Peter died under the persecution of Nero, Okay, and so Nero was the Roman emperor. Nero, we all know stories about him. He's the one who burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians, and he's just this kind of wild and crazy guy. Well, we know that Nero died in, in 68. And so if Peter died under Nero, then Peter had to have died before 68. And so what we see here is Peter's writings, First Peter and Second Peter, and, and he's doing all this just within about 30 years of the resurrection of Jesus. In 30 years, he has really honed down and really deepened his understanding of who Christ was. And he's really become this, this leader and this pillar of the church. It's, it's just really neat how this change happened in his life. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to read this entire uh, passage of Scripture. It's just, I don't know, maybe uh, eight verses long, if even that. Uh, so First Peter chapter 1, let's start in verse 3. We're going to go through verse 9. It says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proven genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's a whole lot, okay? And what's so great about this is it's, there's so much in here. We could, I could probably preach on this for six months, okay? But we're gonna try to stay, get it all done in at least two or three weeks. This one passage, he presents all three essential elements, the past, the present, and the promise. So let's just jump right in. This is really just point number one, and we're gonna talk about the past, okay? Did you see what he says at the very beginning of that? It says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Now, if we take this idea of new birth and put that all the way back to what Jesus talks about with Nicodemus in John chapter three, y'all remember that story? And Jesus says, you have to be born again. There has to be this new birth process. Jesus is speaking of and referencing a salvation moment, right? And so Peter here says at the very beginning, in his great mercy, he has given this new birth, this new life, this new opportunity, this new relationship with him. He has given it. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Through an event in the past, he has given this new birth or this salvation. Now, now make no mistake about it, okay? And you can't miss over this. What Jesus did on the cross and through an empty tomb provided salvation to us. Without the cross, without the sacrifice, without Jesus, salvation's not possible, right? Without the, the resurrection, without the empty tomb, without the known and witnessed and recorded life of Jesus after he was dead, without that, there's no hope of eternal life for us, right? If Jesus came and died and stayed dead, he would have been no different than all the other quote unquote good prophets that came before him, right? He would have not been the Messiah, the promised one, the son of God, and his death would not have been sufficient for the sin debt that we owed. He would have just been another guy who died believing what he believed. But because he was, it was. That's a very important statement that you should write down. Because he was, it was means this, because he was the Messiah, because he did rise from the dead, because he did defeat death, because he did uh, die on a cross and rose again, it was, meaning his death was sufficient once and for all. We're going to talk about that and what that means we're gonna look at a lot of scripture this morning, about half of it I've got on the screen. So you should get your Bibles ready and get your thumbs ready. Romans chapter five, verse 18 says this, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, who are they talking about? He's talking about Adam. Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, through also the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Church, this act of righteousness provided, what, there's our big word, justification, right? Being declared and made just in God's 
sight, meaning that we are good, that we are right, that we are in right relationship, right? And so the question that comes out of this naturally is what about the people before Jesus? What about Moses and Abraham? What about all the prophets? They didn't have Jesus's act of justification on the cross. How are they in right relationship with God? Well, it's because of those men and women and the Old Testament, let's just kind of lump them all into that category. They were all under what we call the old covenant, right? This is the old promise, the old covenant made through Moses and Abraham, with, through, or through Abraham with the law given to Moses, okay? And so the Old Testament people, their justification was made through their keeping of the law. That's why they had to sacrifice that's why the temple system was set up. That's why they had to go and continue to make sacrifice at the temple so that their sin could be forgiven. They were going through the steps of the law. And then Jesus comes and in his own words, Matthew 5, 17, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them to bring them to their complete fruition. I'm gonna show you what the law was meant for. I'm gonna show you what the prophets spoke about. And then we now are under the new covenant, which Jesus also talked about in Luke chapters 22, verse 19 and 20. And he says this, this is the Lord's Supper. We recognize this passage of scripture. And he says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Remember what the old covenant was? The old covenant was a system of sacrifice and we had to continue to do that. Every time we messed up or every time we felt guilty or every time we felt shame, we had to go to the temple, we had to sacrifice and we had to ask for forgiveness. Jesus comes and he's saying, here's my body, right? Take and eat. Here's the blood of the new covenant that was poured out for you. So we have this blood sacrifice that's for everybody. This is a new thing. This is brand new. When Jesus said this, every good Jew went, what? You're not supposed to say that. And the disciples went, this is a bigger deal than we can ever even imagine in this moment, right? So by his sacrifice on the cross, by his shedding of the blood, by his death, and by placing our faith in him, we have atonement. That's another big church word. It just means at one meant. That's how you spell it. Atonement with Christ, meaning that we are in right relationship with him. That's why, church, that's why you can't skip the cross and get to heaven. You just can't, right? You can't be good enough to earn your way because our sin debt had to be paid and a perfect sacrifice was required once and for all, okay? We can't skip the work on the cross and earn our way. The resurrection from Jesus from the dead was the proof of the hope that we have because if Jesus didn't resurrect, then, then what's life all about if when we die, it's done? There's, no, there's really not much of a salvation process. Okay, well, we've been saved, but once we're dead, we're dead. The resurrection says, well, there's life everlasting. There's this, there's this eternal life that comes along with this idea of, of being saved, that we get to be in right relationship with God for forever. Do you understand that we cannot skip what Jesus did on the cross? Now, I'm gonna pause right here because this is so important. And I know 
This is all point number one, so I don't even have subpoints. We're just having to talk our way through it. That's why it's got to be more than one week, okay? I'm still in point number one. I don't want to miss past this and, and not, not really give it the justice it deserves. If, if Jesus is the agent of salvation, right? Meaning that it originates in him, it's by him, it's through him. If he's the key to our salvation and what he did on the cross, if all that is in him, then what can you do to earn your salvation? The answer is simply nothing. You can't do anything to earn salvation because we can't accomplish what's necessary to provide salvation for ourselves, right? We cannot provide a sinless sacrifice because we are sinful people, right? We cannot, we are not divine. We're not, we're not co-eternal with God. We're not, we're not the, the son of God or the daughters. We're not, we're not divine in our own self. Therefore, we cannot pay a divine debt. That's why we talk about Jesus being 100% man and 100% God, right? That's, that's why that's had to happen through him. Uh, Jesus being 100% God had to die for a debt that was a divine debt. Him being 100% man applied that forgiveness to us humans. Does that make sense? What Jesus did and because of who he was, provides the only way to salvation that we have. I can, if the only other way to do that is to provide a, a sinless sacrifice, guess what? We're, we're, all, we're all hopeless because none of us are sinless. We can be as good as we want to be, but we've always sinned. We, we can be as good as we want to try to be, but it doesn't, we're never going to measure up. We cannot be the sinless sacrifice. He only could be. Look what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 through 9 says this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God rises us up with Christ and seats us in him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us. In Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. Church, there's absolutely nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. It has already been accomplished through Jesus on the cross. And it's by grace through faith that you are saved. If you think you can, you can be good enough to earn your way to heaven, then you're wrong. If you think that you're banking some sort of brownie points with God, then you're, you're wrong. Jesus has already accomplished the salvation of your soul. All you have to do is accept it as a gift of God. Believe in his son and you will be saved. What Jesus did in the past provides salvation for us. Let me say it like this. Salvation was accomplished a long time ago. You have to accept it and make it yours. This is the past work of salvation. Does that all make sense? Here's the thing. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says this. In his great mercy, he has given. 
That's past tense. He's already given it. He's already provided it. The work that he did on the cross is already enough. He's done everything for it. He's given it. Question is, church, have you received it? Have you taken that gift that was done in the past and applied it to your present? We'll talk about that next week. Have you taken that and, and making it your own? This is the process of justification. What Jesus did on the cross provided justification for us. When we accept it, we are immediately justified. Make no mistake. Just because Jesus died doesn't mean that everyone is justified. It means everyone has the opportunity to be. We have to take the gift and apply it to our own heart, okay? That's the process of justification. What he did a long time ago applied when we believe. Now, I'm gonna take another sidebar here because this is another important part of this conversation that we have to ask. If I'm gonna preach this, I'm gonna preach all the way around it, okay? So the question is, if we didn't do anything to earn it, what can you do to lose it? If you didn't do anything to earn it, what can you do to lose it? And the same answer applies, nothing. Now there's a lot of conversation around this and we just have to kind of talk about it for what it is. It crosses denominational lines. If you talk to some people, there are people in my family that would disagree with my statements I'm about to make. There may be people in your family that would disagree with some statements that I'm about to make, but the reality is that if, if we... If we go back to what scripture says, then once you have received salvation, there's nothing that you can do to lose that salvation. And here's what it says. We as a church, as Emmanuel Baptist Church, believe in something that we call the security of the believer, right? You may have heard that as you've grown up through the church. You may have even heard those terms be thrown around. Security of believers means that if you've surrendered your heart and life to Jesus, if you've accepted the gift of salvation by the atoning work of Christ on the cross and submitted to the Lordship of his life, there is no sin that you can commit that will ever nullify that gift in your life. Meaning you didn't earn it, so you can't lose it, right? You can't unearn it. That's a better way to say it. If you didn't earn it, you can't unearn it, okay? And here's, here's the scripture that I have to go up with this, and I've got them just listed on the screen here, right? I don't have them all listed out. You can write these down. You can go back and read, read them later. I'm going to read them for you right now. Isaiah 41.10, fear not. This is God speaking. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Why is that verse so important? John 10, 28, this is Jesus talking. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Isn't that incredible? That's Old Testament, New Testament going hand in glove. Jesus, God says, I will hold you in my righteous right hand. And Jesus says, yeah, and nobody's gonna ever be able to take you away from me. Romans 8, 38 and 39, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. This is, a, this is a tricky one, so listen to this and listen carefully. It is impossible 
for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tested the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. What do you start with? It is impossible. And he says, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And some people read that verse and go, well, that means if you fall away, you can't ever come back. That's not what he's saying. That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, listen, it's impossible that if you, if, if you fell away to come back, because that means Jesus is going to have to die on the cross again. And guess what? He's not going to do that. He's not going to continue to come to present himself to public disgrace over and over again, which means it's impossible for you to do that. It's impossible for you to lose that gift that has been given. Hebrews 9, 24, for Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood that's not his own. Then Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. Church, once you are saved, you are saved, period. There's no, there's no biblical account for anything other than that. He says, listen, now he has appeared once for all. Once he's done this one time, he's not going to keep doing it over and over again. If you lose your salvation somehow, quote unquote, then that means you have to gain it back. And that means Jesus has to die for you again. He doesn't have to do that because he's done it once for all. I'm not going to get into the arguments of, well, what if you denounce your faith, right? We've had those arguments in church for a long time. Well, what if you say that you're a Christian and you grow and years pass and you say, you know what? I don't want to be a Christian anymore. I denounce my faith. And my answer to you would be one of two things. Number one, you probably weren't saved to begin with. Or number two, when you get to heaven, Jesus is going to slap you on the back of the head and go, what were you thinking? right? That's just the way I see it. That's just the way my mind works because either we are forever or, or you can't, right? And so this idea is that, we've, listen, I've got people who will fight tooth and nail with me and all this kind of stuff. And my, my, whole, my whole thing is like my grandfather, who I love dearly, and I preached his funeral and I, I did everything that I could do for him and my grandmother. They, they believed as, uh, as general Baptists, General Baptists believe that you can backslide to the point of unrepentance and that you can die. If you're dying and you are not living right with God, then you die and you go to hell. And I would, I would show scripture to them and I would teach, I'd try to tell them and I'd try, and at some point I thought, you know what, they're okay and I'm just gonna give up because they just, he was not gonna, he was 90 something years old, he was not gonna change his mind, okay? I'm not asking you to get in arguments about this. I'm just saying, read the Bible. And it tells you exactly what's going on here and why this, because, okay, my question is number one to anybody who believes this, and you can ask these questions. I think it's good for to have this kind of dialogue. Number one, show me in scripture where Jesus unloves somebody. Show me in scripture 
where Jesus unloves somebody. Even Judas, even Judas, he loved. He called. He spent years with him. Show me a scripture where he unloves somebody. And number two, what is the point that's the breaking point? Nobody can answer that for us. How much sin do you commit until you're unsaved? And what's the line? Is it, can we, can we commit all the way up to this point? And if we hang right here, we don't, we're still saved, but we're just right on the, nobody can answer that point either. The reality is that you didn't earn it. And that's what makes it a gift. And once that gift has given, it's been truly accepted. He's never going to take it away. Now that's not the nature of God. And it's also not an excuse to sin, right? Paul tells us that in Romans. Can we go on sinning? By no means, Right? This is not an excuse. This is just saying, listen, once I've got it and once I've really understood it, that there's a part of me that never wants to sin again. It's, it's gonna revolt against what sin is. And so I'm gonna continue to live in him, in the gift that he's given, that he gave on the cross. So we didn't earn it. We can't unearn it. And then the last two questions that we have to kind of get into when it comes to this idea of justification and what Jesus did in the past is how do we know? How do we know, number one, that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient? And how do we know that we are, in fact, saved? So let's just go into these, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Number one, how do we know that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 gives us an incredible passage of Scripture here. Uh, that we're going to look at. It's not on the screen, but I think it's so good to hear and to read through. Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, quote, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. And then he said, Here I am. It is written about me on the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Now, this is a quote from Psalms chapter 40. It's kind of a loose quote. If you go back and read Psalms 40, it's not word for word, but it says it's a loose quote of Psalm 40. And the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus is saying these things, and then he's going to explain what he meant, okay? So verse 8, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14 in that same chapter says, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you catch that? We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He, he set aside the one. He set aside the offering and the sacrificial system for the other. He said, this is how you used to do it. This is how we do it now. This is what you used to have to go through, but this is what I'm providing once and for all right now. What Jesus did on the cross was sufficient. Now, here's what's so great about this. He even told us. He said it 
in three simple words, one Greek word. John 19, 30. It is finished. Those words in Greek, is, it's a phrase called tetelestai. Okay, that's your, that's your language lesson for today. Tetelestai. And it means more than just I'm done, right? He didn't say I am finished. He didn't say I am tired. He didn't say I am giving up. He said it is finished, tetelestai. And it means I have come and I have done exactly what I have come to do. I have done exactly what I have come to do. In other words, it is complete. That's another word. It is perfect. And what's so great about this is the tense of the word. Now we know past tense, present tense, and I'm not gonna get into all the grammatical senses of words because I, that stuff doesn't make sense to me. Jessica is my grammar guru, okay? So she, I remember writing papers for seminary and I would have her read to make sure they were grammatically correct. And she, was, she would go through and circle words and don't put commas here and don't put no whatever. I'm just not a grammar person, but this is so incredible. The tense of this word speaks of an action that has been completed in the past with results continuing in the present. So in a, in a past tense, it, he would have said, this happened. But in the, in the perfect tense, which is the tense of the word tetelestai, it means this happened and is still happening today. It is finished. To tell us that. What a better way to describe the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice as to say it is finished. It's happening and it's still in effect today. It happened, but it's still happening. It is finished. Man, this is incredible. When we think about is, is, was Jesus' death on the cross enough? Yes, it was, it was enough then and it's still enough now. It's always going to be enough. Isn't that a great word? Here's the second question we have to answer. So we know, was it sufficient? Yes, we just read in Hebrews that it was once for all that he made perfect forever, right? And, and then Jesus said on the cross himself that it is finished, that it is always finished, that it's always gonna be finished. It was enough, right? And so the second question that we have to answer is how do we know that we are saved? How do we know that we are in fact saved? And here's, here's a really easy answer to that. Only you and God no, I don't know. I don't know whether you are or not. Only you and God know. Your mom and your grandparents don't know. Your, your spouse or your children don't know. Only you and God know. It's this delicate balance of genuine, heartfelt, honest, true repentance combined with this childlike faith that doesn't have to know all the ins and outs of theology. It's just this desire to say, I need to be saved. Bible simply says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and confess in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Listen, church, don't overcomplicate that. We do a really good job the older we get to try to make that a lot harder than it has to be. It's the ABCs of VBS. Y'all remember that? 
A, admit that you are a sinner, believe that Christ raised him from the dead, and C, confess that you need him in your life. Like A, B, C. Those are the things that we talk about through kids. Don't overcomplicate it, but also don't underplay it. Jesus never said, pray a prayer, walk an aisle, and you're good. It's not what he said. He said, repent and be saved. He said, follow me. A lot of us want to skip the process of that and we want to try to be good and we just want to follow, but we don't repent. We don't ever really stop and go, you know what? I'm a sinner. I need what he did on the cross to make me right with God. And I've got to, I've got to come underneath that. There's a, there's a complete surrender and there's a complete obedience and there's a complete humbling that comes with the words, follow me. You don't have to know all the ins and outs, but you have to be willing to say, you know what, I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. I believe and I'm trusting and I'm putting my faith and my hope in there. And when you believe that and when you do that, then there's gonna be evidence of that in your life. Remember, Jesus talked about how you'll know them by their fruit. And so I can walk around and I can point out people, man, that person, they got a good relationship with Jesus because it's evidenced in their life. But the evidence doesn't mean that it's there. They can sometimes be faking it. It just means when you've got it and you've truly got it, man, that's gonna be known. It's gonna be proved. It's gonna be, it's gonna be shown in your life. Matthew 17 or 7, 16, you will know them by their fruit, right? So church, we understand that, that this understanding of salvation comes from just faith. It comes, it's a gift given us through grace. And we have to say, you know what? I'm the only person who can make that decision for me. Nobody else can. And so when, I'm, when I was young, man, I was six years old when I got saved. Six years old, I asked my mom and dad about it. They walked me through it. I understood on a six-year-old level. I didn't understand all the, the theological things. I didn't understand the book of Hebrews. I didn't understand much of anything at six. I just knew that I needed Jesus. And I gave my heart and my life to him. That's the childlike faith. And then as I grew up, I began to understand more and more and apply more and more. And that's me taking that gift of salvation and applying it to my life. We're gonna talk about that part next week. That's called the process of sanctification, becoming more and more Christ-like, right? But it all has to start with justification. It all has to start with what happened in the past that provided salvation for our present. So the past present and the promise. It all starts with what he has done. The question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Some of you say, well, I've grown up in church my whole life. Of course I believe it. That doesn't mean that you've accepted it. Do you believe that what Jesus did on the cross is enough and sufficient for your salvation, that his resurrection from the dead provides a hope for eternal life? Yes, I believe that, man. Have you ever really come underneath that and applied it? Have you ever really accepted that and made it real in your own heart? I don't know. This is not an I don't know kind of answer. This is not one of those things that we can just get to heaven and go, you know, I don't know. I want you to know. I want you to know that you know, because once you're his, you're always his. We've already talked about that. And so the question for you, church, is do you really believe it? Are you really willing to say, I know that I know that I know that what he did on the, in the past is sufficient for my salvation right now? Church, if you can't say, man, I know. I know I, I walked a prayer. I know I even got baptized. I know that. But man, I don't know if I ever really made it real. I don't know. 
And church, today is the day to figure that out. This is the, this whole point, this is the reason why we have church to begin with is that we understand what salvation is and that we can fully accept that and move forward in him, knowing that our future is secure. We don't have to, well, listen, we're going back to secure the future, right? This is a full circle, like Michael J. Fox moment right now. We're going back to secure what we know he did in the past to secure the future that we have hope in him. Church, we're gonna talk the rest of the way through this. See, that's why, that's why we had to split it up. I'm just dealing point number one. But it's the most important point. And you gotta make sure that you got this understanding. If you don't, know. If you're watching online or if you're here this morning, you just don't know. And you don't know that that moment of salvation that, that God provided on the cross has ever been applied to your heart and to your life. Then man, you come talk to me. I would love to talk to you. Because this is what matters most. We can talk about right living. We can talk about the next few steps of the process of sanctification and becoming more and more Christ-like. We can talk about how it means to be a good parent or a good husband or a good father or a good mother or a good uh, student or whatever. We can talk about all that stuff, but none of that stuff matters without the moment of salvation first. Church, this is something we've got to figure out now. I'm going to ask you to stand and, and bow your head with me and TJ's going to come up and we're going to I have a moment of invitation. This moment of invitation is going to be brief. It's not, we're not going to drag this out, but if it's a question of your heart, if you don't know, then you come and you talk to me. I'll put a mask on. I'll, I'll cover my face. I'll do whatever I got to do because I'm going to talk to you about what's most important. This is most important. Don't leave not understanding. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for what you've done for us in the past, how you have secured for us the justification of our lives, God, that we can say that we are in right relationship. We have the ability to be in right relationship because of what you did on the cross, Father. You did that once and for all. Father, you provided that for us forever. Father, I pray this morning that every person here, every person watching, God, I know I read a lot of scripture. I know there's a lot of stuff about this and it's hard to put it all into one message, but God, every person needs to know that they know that they know. God, it's bigger than walking an aisle. It's bigger than just praying a prayer. There's a surrender. Father, you've already accomplished it. It's our responsibility to receive it and to take it. And God, once, we, it's our, once it is ours, it can never be taken away. Father, help us take it and hold tightly to the salvation that you have given us. Father, thank you for the words of 1 Peter chapter 1. You have given us a new birth, God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the, the perfect work on the cross. God, let us surrender our hearts to that. If there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know that, God, today is the day. Don't let them leave today. God, don't let them, don't let them eat lunch this afternoon without talking to me or to someone to, to figure out how this can be applied in their life. This is the moment that is most important. For the next few minutes, we give you our hearts. We give you our time. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.